The first Christians in the ancient city of Thessalonica had a problem. The Apostle Paul had come there sometime in the late 8040s, and he'd preached the good news about Jesus to them, and they had joyfully received it. But then Paul had to leave rather suddenly, and not by his own choice. Persecution that had been stirred up by some of his opponents forced him to leave. And there were some key things about their new faith in Jesus that were missing. One of those things, as we've previously seen revealed to us in the first letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, was a misunderstanding about what were to happen if you as a follower of Jesus died before Jesus came again. Would that mean that you just miss out on the resurrection of the dead? And Paul reassured them there in 1 Thessalonians 4 that not at all, that when Jesus comes, the first thing that he'll address at his coming in the clouds is to raise those who are dead in him, those who belong to him, who are faithful followers of his. Just because their lives may end, they'll share in a resurrection like his. Yet when Jesus comes on the clouds, it won't just be to raise the dead, as monumental as that in and of itself will be. Also of incredible importance to the struggling, afflicted, suffering Christians in the city of Thessalonica was that when Jesus comes, his coming in the clouds will also be to bring about judgment. He'll come to right the wrong. Just listen to how Paul begins his second letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, where he says there, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The picture that Paul paints here of Jesus coming in judgment is a little bit different from how you or I might think of judgment, because we hear judgment and we think of it as being overly critical of picking somebody apart for something in a way that might not be fair. Or we think of judgment and we picture somebody in a long black robe who's been brought to trial and is getting accused having been arrested by the police or being brought to trial by somebody that's suing them to try to get something from them. But that's not quite the image of judgment as it would have been known in Jesus' day. 
You see, in these ancient times, as Paul was addressing these Christians in the ancient city of Thessalonica, the image was one of a judge that might come into town periodically as he traveled about from different places. And when he came, that was your opportunity to seek justice. You might come and plead your case before that judge, and you do so with the intention of asking him to right some wrong that you've suffered. If you had somebody who had afflicted you, taken something that was yours, caused some harm to you, you could come and make your case and plead with the judge, and it would be at that moment that justice would be done. Well, part of the image for us as followers of Jesus is that when Jesus comes, not only will his coming bring about the resurrection of the dead, but he, as the king arriving, will also right the wrongs. And that means those who stood against him, those who rebelled against his reign, who rejected his rule, who hurt and did wrong to his people. Those wrongs will be righted. They'll face judgment. And in fact, in no uncertain terms, as Paul says that those who afflict God's people will themselves be afflicted in flaming fire as God inflicts vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is, when Jesus comes in judgment, we've all been guilty of rebelling against his reign because we've all sinned. We've all done something that was against what God wanted that hurt somebody else. Yet the whole reason that Jesus first came was to be the sacrifice for our sins, was to give his spirit to lead us and guide us and help us live the way that God always intended so that we wouldn't have to face this day of judgment unprepared, so that we wouldn't have to be caught off guard by this day of judgment, so that we face the God who loves us and created us as people who willfully rebelled against him, rejected him. So if we live our lives for Jesus, then that judgment day doesn't have to be a day that we find scary. It doesn't have to be something that we as followers of Jesus are troubled about because for us, it'll be a day where we get to glorify him along with everyone else who has been made pure in Christ. It will be a day where we get to marvel along with everyone who's believed because that faith that we've held for so long, that loyalty that we had, even though we ourselves had never seen Jesus, we now get to see Jesus, united with everyone who has ever known and loved Jesus throughout the ages. Even though they may have died, we get to marvel as they rise, and together we get to celebrate him. Because that's the reality. When Jesus comes in judgment, we will either find ourselves welcoming him as his people, celebrating his victory, being ushered into his presence forever, or we'll find ourselves having stood against him, having stood against his purposes, being enemies, rebels, facing punishment, that punishment being removed from God's presence forever, removed from the only source of life and light, of love and good 
meaning that all that can await us in the absence of that is terrible suffering, a second never-ending death, eternal destruction. Yet Paul gives reassurance here that the choices that we make right now matter because we don't earn or deserve to be in God's presence. As I've already said, we've all chosen rebellion. We've all sinned, but because of Jesus, we can be purified. By God's grace to us, we can get counted as having been a part of his kingdom, even though we have in the past rebelled. But what matters is that we spend each day of our lives now seeking to be worthy of what he's called us to, praying diligently, for ourselves, for each other, resolving to do the good that Jesus wants done in this world so that when he comes, he finds that instead of working against him, we're spending our lives working with him, which is better for us anyway. It's what we were created to do when God first gave us life. This is the hope for when Christ comes in judgment that hope that when he comes, the wrongs will be righted. Now, we've all committed wrongs. So what matters for us now is to choose whether we want to face that day as people that rejected the uh, tremendous grace that Jesus has extended to us and face him at his coming as enemies, or whether we want to accept that amazing grace to be completely changed by it and get to welcome Jesus when he comes in the clouds with rejoicing.